from the twisted realm of science and the darkest pits of reason comes chilling tales of godlessness. Bear witness to the unfathomable terror that is... The Good Atheist. Welcome to the GoodAtheist.net podcast. My name is Jacob Forte. Today, I have a really special guest. I figured this was kind of the Christmas treat before we take a bit of a break for a while and uh, try to recharge our batteries with the Christmas time. And uh, today, my guest is someone that I never thought, actually, that I would get to talk to. I uh, didn't think we had too much in common, uh, apart from uh, perhaps some of our, uh, you know, the fact that we're both Canadian. <laughs> Uh, but fortunately, it turns out that my guest here is actually um, a, a well-known skeptic, much to my, sh- my surprise and much my shame for not knowing this, and he has recently released a memoir uh, talking about that and his life in acting. You may remember him as the smoking man from the X-Files. Today, my guest is also a teacher, a spokesperson for the Canadian, uh, Canadian Cancer Society, and he is uh, founder of his own acting school, uh, Mr. William B. Davis. Thank you for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, now, uh, do you prefer uh, William, uh, Bill, Mr. Davis? How, how, what, what should I call him? <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, we're, um, uh, not Mr. Davis, definitely, but no. uh, I'm going through a bit of a change on my first name because I recently got married in France, and my wife calls me William, and everyone in Europe calls me William, and I kind of like it. I used to be Bill for all my life, but uh, I'm turning, I'm becoming William as I get older. So whatever comes out of your mouth is fine. <laughs> ah, well, you see, now I'm glad that I can be part of that trend. <laughs> now, uh, the, the first thing, um, I'll, I'll tell you the story about why, like, how, uh, why you're on the show. It turns out that I was, I've been watching a lot of X-Files because it is on Netflix, and uh, I, we've just been going through it. It's, it's kind of like revisiting my teen years where I used to just watch the show religiously. And uh, I, I was telling some of my friends about an interesting connection with the show because I had kept saying to people throughout the years, I'm like, yeah, the actor who plays the smoking man was a teacher at Bishop's University. Now, I knew this is part of the legend that was spreading in in schools, and this is kind of pre-internet days where you couldn't really check up your facts. I decided that I needed to find out whether or not I was actually right in what I said. I didn't want to feel like a fool who was full of shit. So I, I, I did a little bit of research, and it turns out that um, there was a whole bunch of information about you that I didn't know that had just been, I guess, updated on the Wikipedia page since your release of your memoir. And, and part of that, that, the most important part of your profile that I just jumped right in my face was the fact that you were part of the skeptical community and that you had done a number of uh, lectures, even back in the 90s. And I did not know this. It shocked me. And I'm like, okay. I've got to get this guy in the show. I, I got to find out what the heck is going on. I mean, like, and finally something in common, an excuse to talk to someone who was part of my childhood. <laughs> no, that's fine. No, just no, that's great. Go on, and, uh, lead me down the path here. Well, my first my first question is this: the reason you became involved in the skeptical community, uh, I, I'm, I have to guess the first reason must have been something to do with. Um, with your 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 role as the smoking man, were you becoming like uh, questioned and by by conspiracy theorists? Did they try to drag you in their world? Yeah, well, the, what uh, what so many people d- just do not understand how uh, the acting profession works. 
um, or at least they, their opinion of or their ideas about it are, are really based on uh, the superstars that they know about. And so they assume that uh, if I'm in this show, I chose to be in this show because I have an affinity for the ideas of the show and blah, 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 blah. Right. Um, they don't seem to understand that I'm in the show because, gee, I'm an actor and I got the part. <laughs> uh, and I'm working. Hooray. It's the job. Um, yeah. So, so uh, you know, people would come up to me and say, oh, we're, we're, we're going um, sky watching next week. Uh, do you want to come with us? Or um, we have some interesting news about uh, Area 51. I said, uh, what's Area 51? What? What? <laughs> Um, and they were shocked to find out that I was a, a non-believer in aliens and alien abduction and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, they, but I would say to them, I would say, you know, the onus is on you to prove that these things exist. The onus is not on me to prove that they don't. Oh, uh, they didn't accept that. No, no, we have proofs that they exist, they said. So... Um, I thought, well, you know, I guess I need some more information about this. I go to these conventions, I talk to these fans, and I need to know more about it. So one day I'm uh, listening to the radio, and I hear an interview with Barry Beierstein uh, from Simon Fraser University and from PSYCOP, the Committee for Scientific Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. And he's talking about exactly what I wanted to know, that they actually put many of these things to scientific investigation and tested them. Uh, and I thought, okay, here's the man who knows what I need to know. So I tracked him down. We had a lovely lunch. We became good friends. And I was introduced to, indeed, the skeptic community and to PSYCOP, which is now called CSI, Committee for Skeptical Inquiry, and found myself uh, giving talks at universities and uh, and generally trying to promote uh, a skeptical view of the world, uh, uh, turning my notoriety on its head, as it were. <laughs> well, I think this isn't the first time you've done that. In fact, uh, your pers- the, the second part of your cigarette-smoking persona, which was the cigarette-smoking itself, uh, seemed to have been something that you turned around as well. Exactly. I was thinking that just as I said that. Of course, I, uh, <laughs> being a reformed smoker and... Uh, Playing this uh, very public smoker uh, was a, an opportunity for me to link with the Canadian Cancer Society in their stop smoking campaigns uh, several years ago, and so I did some work for them, uh, uh, championing uh, the cause of uh, not smoking, uh, which had a nice irony to it. Because the smoking, the smoking man was his smoking was not attractive, so the. Uh, hopefully, people didn't watch me smoke in operating rooms and go, "Oh gosh, I'd like to light up." <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, I suppose when you when you look at at the fact that he is his other nickname is Cancer Man. Exactly. Uh, you know, I, I think there's at least a fair portrayal of, of the the long the the long term consequences of it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the, that character actually reminds me. I, I don't know if you've ever read any graphic novels, but. Uh, there's uh, there's a, a graphic novel called Hellraiser, which was later turned into the movie Constantine, uh, and the character is supposed to be sort of a, a cigarette smoking guy, who who has cancer and who's dying and who doesn't believe in God and knows he's going to hell, but in a sense, you know, sort of like the the, the smoking itself becomes a way for the character to destroy himself, and I think to some degree the cigarette smoking man is a character who's on uh, on sort of his own path of self destruction through the cigarette smoking. At least that's the way I interpreted it. 
No, no, that's true. Although there's a sort of inconsistency in your story. How can you not believe in God and believe you're going to hell? If you don't believe in God, you don't believe in hell. <laughs> well, this is a graphic novel here. And plus, the, the, the problem with Hellraiser is that he knew that God was real. Uh, he had proof. Uh, so uh, him believing that hell was real makes absolute sense in a universe which is itself senseless. And I mean, uh, on that yeah, note, like yeah. looking at the X-Files in, t in today's term, from the skeptical point of view, I mean, pop, pop, quite possibly the most frustrating show for a skeptic to watch when you, when you see Dana Scully's very logical arguments turning out to be foolish and stupid every single episode. <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. I know. Um, and um, our, our good friend and famous atheist Richard Dawkins campaigned against the show for that very reason. He felt that it was promoting pseudoscience. Well, I tend to I tend to agree with him. Yeah. When I when I look back at the show and you see one of the first lines because before I called you, I was watching the very first episode, and uh, there's a part. There's a, a dialogue that Mulder has where he says, if science cannot provide an explanation, can we not turn to the fantastic? Uh, and I'm thinking the whole time he says that, no, no, you don't turn to the fantastic with a lack of evidence. That's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. Uh, well, did, did you find, because here's the thing, I mean, perhaps perhaps I'm noticing a trend in in, in your ability to uh, take uh, some of the consequences, let's say, of, of your most famous role and turn it into a, 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 a positive, is that I think the, the, the art of acting is, to a large degree, the art of empathy. Uh, did you find yourself kind of thrown into the skeptical world because of the side of you that re almost regrets or, or worries that what you left behind may have been, you know, w uh, were worse off <laughs> as a consequence? You know, it's it's a very it's an interesting it's a very interesting question, and I actually write a lot about it in my book, uh, where there's smoke, um, just to get the name in, um, because uh, you know Dawkins did make this campaign, uh, well, sort of halfway through the show, and you know I'm a I'm a skeptic, I'm an atheist, and uh, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, here am I part of something that is promoting uh, uh, pseudoscience and. Uh, it's almost a crisis of conscience. I mean, should I do what Mulder did? Should I would do? Should I resign from the show and campaign against the show, or or should I do what my character did and compromise and and slither along? Um, but as I looked at it more closely, um, it uh, uh, I realized he. For a man of, of, of so, such scientific uh, integrity as Dawkins, he actually had no evidence for this campaign. Uh, he had no evidence whatsoever and presented none uh, to show that uh, the show did in fact encourage people to think more pseudoscientifically. Because um, the show is, of course, fiction. And uh, so does it in fact change people's minds? Uh, it's not intended to be a documentary, it's intended to be fiction. Um, so, uh, you know, I would do uh, sort of straw polls at conventions, and God knows this is certainly not very scientific, but, uh, you know, I would ask people, well, how many of you believe that there are aliens among us? And I think maybe 40 or 50% of the hands would go up thinking there were aliens among us. 
And at the time, in the 90s, this was uh, generally corresponded to the um, to a poll of the general population, that about 40% of the population thought there were aliens among us. So there didn't seem to be a greater belief in aliens among X-Files fans than among the general population. Now, this was not a very scientific study, but it's a little more than Dawkins presented. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> That's fair enough. That's fair enough. And you know what? That's part of that. That is part of science, right? You do have to critique people that make claims <laughs> yes. that evidence, even if we like exactly. them, especially right. if we like them. Exactly. <laughs> I remember I was reading one of the um, one of those articles actually from your earlier talk, and you mentioned someone by the name of uh, John Mack. Mm-hmm. And uh, and here's the here's the thing. I, I I felt like actually in the article that I read, they didn't go into any details about it, nor did they mention anything about that speech. But I, I'm reading a little bit more about this man, John Mack, who's who's uh, who's who seemed. I, I'm I'm not quite sure what this man is about. I was hoping perhaps you were still quite familiar enough so that you could talk about it because you hinted about it in this speech and I never got to hear about it. That was yeah, decades and, ago. <laughs> and again, I, I actually I write about it in some detail in the book as well because I was actually asked to moderate a debate. Um, again, they just assumed that you know I had an interest in these subjects, and and of course I would be sympathetic to the ideas of John Mack. Um, John Mack was a Harvard professor uh, who uh, had actually won a Pulitzer Prize for a work on perception, but in the last ten years leading up to what this, this point in the 90s, he had been a, 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 a total advocate of the of the notion that. Uh, there are aliens among us, and they are actually abducting humans. And he wrote a book called Abduction, and uh, it was a bestseller. And he referred to the abductees as pioneers on a hero's journey. And so I was asked to moderate a debate between John Mack and someone who was uh, also a bit of a believer, but uh, not as strongly. And I was supposed to take an intermediate position, and so they were surprised to find that, in fact, my position was way out on the other side. I didn't believe any of this stuff. <laughs> uh, yep. um, but we had some very interesting discussions. I mean, the man is brilliant. Um, he unfortunately was subsequently killed in a car accident, so he's not with us any longer. But, but oh, you know, one of the things one is discovering is that one of the problems with human intelligence is that we are so good at defending ideas that uh, we arrived at irrationally. Um, so he was very good. Uh, he's wrong, but he was very good. Um, but again, uh, it's interesting how evidence uh, drifts away, or evidence is not paid attention to if you don't want to believe what it shows. And in this particular case, I mean, there was really no objective evidence about whether they're being abducted or not, except for one thing, because he believed uh, in the literal truth of everything that was reported by the abductees, and that was part of his case. And one of the things the abductees sometimes reported was that they had seen him, John Mack, on one of the spaceships. Now, John Mack knew he'd never been on one of the spaceships, so the one verifiable piece of, of data that the abductees were presenting was wrong. The only verifiable piece of data. But that did not affect his uh, thinking. He did not go, oh, yes, well, maybe I should question more of what they're saying because I know that one's not true. No, he just thought that was curious. But everything else they said was true. It, well, it is an amazing example of, co- of cognitive dissonance 
at its most basic, where you're like, here's, here's a fundamentally intelligent person who, who cannot remove himself enough from wanting to believe the evidence. I, I think that for him, the I want to believe poster would have been a, a collector favorite, even though I think that that's probably the most offensive thing that you could ever put on a poster. <laughs> yes, exactly, I know. <laughs> You're like, I want to believe. Uh, okay, well, I want to believe the, the, the truth. I want to believe that climate change is not a danger. I want to believe I can burn as much oil as I want. Uh, <laughs> but unfortunately, it's not true. Right. The truth can be very, very brutal. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody mm. wants to believe the truth, really, fundamentally, even though I think it's a shame, you know, like when we look at... I'm sure as you got more involved, and I think this is probably the experience of everyone, and you can tell me if this is your experience, is that at first when you walk into what I will call the skeptical world, one in which you sort of, you, you begin to accept the, um, the, the kind of rules of skepticism, you take that toolbox, the baloney detecting kit that Michael Shermer uh, you know, calls, and you, you approach everything in the world in that manner, it really does fundamentally change the way that you look and you feel, you really do feel different. You do feel changed. And, and sometimes, I don't know about you, but I look back at some of the things that I used to believe almost with a little bit of embarrassment, but cheeky embarrassment, you know, uh, you know, say, saying mm -hmm. when I wanted to believe in ghosts, when I, when, when my, one of the reasons I think I liked X-Files is because it, it played into those emotions. I, I, I wanted to believe in a world in which the mind was powerful enough to influence the outside world. And, and what, who, what teenager doesn't want that? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, here's, here's a couple other questions I want to ask. And this is, this is sort of like have to do with uh, the memoir in general. Because you do talk, you said, you said uh, quite a bit about uh, the skeptical movement. But you also talk about uh, you know, the reasons why you became an actor and, and, uh, and, and why you... I mean, you devoted your, a significant uh, portion of your life to that. I mean, the skeptical movement is just something on the side. Uh, your real love is acting. Yes, I, well, I, 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 no, no, you're, you're totally right. Um, I, my, my first round of skepticism, I suppose, and I write about this in the book too, is when I was a child. Um, and uh, we were in uh, history class uh, in high school, and uh, this was when, uh, you know, long before we had uh, various uh, different religions in, in, in schools, everyone was Christian. And uh, he uh, said, you know, now if you'd all been in the fifth, born in the 15th century, you'd all have been Catholics, right? Um, and now I couldn't really remember when the Reformation was, but somehow I didn't think even then I would have been a Catholic. So he said, anyone here wouldn't have been a Catholic? So I raised my hand. And he said, come up here, come up here, come up here. Stand there beside me. And, uh, so he stood me up in front of the class and he said, uh, well, you, you know that uh, all Christians in the 15th century were Catholics, hmm? And I said, lying, but I said, uh, yes, sir. And he said, and you wouldn't have been a Catholic? I said, no, sir. He said, well, aren't you a Christian? I said, well, what do you mean by a Christian, sir? At which point he started to splutter um, and finally said, well, someone who follows the teachings of Christ. And I said, well, I think you'd better count me out, sir. And I went back and sat down. <laughs> well, in this rural Ontario school in the, in the 1950s, this was like throwing a cat among the pigeons. And <laughs> people fluttered around me for days trying to save my soul and worrying about my future. And, and uh, it was all not a terribly pleasant experience. And 
And finally, when I got to university, I ended up going there, and, and I've been at this in the residence for about two or three days, and still feeling a little uncomfortable. And I was passing through the foyer of the residence when somebody shouted out to me, "Hey, hey, you!" Uh, I said, "Yeah." He said, "Do you believe in God?" I said, uh, "No." He said, "Well, come on in." And uh, I suddenly found myself in a group of skeptics and atheists at university. And so that was that sort of first phase. But I, I kind of, uh, you know, when when we look at the, the, the atheist movement in general, and it's difficult for us to declare this a movement, and I, I think you could probably recognize it, because it's hard to, it's hard to, to say, well, I don't believe in something, so let's, Let's all sit down together and, and talk about that. But there really right. is, that right. really is something to talk about. As odd as that may sound coming out of my mouth, it is still true. Well, 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 well it was interesting with the book because um, one of the first people who read uh, the early part of the book for me, and she was very helpful and I appreciated it, and, and she was leaving the house, and then she came back and she said, oh, 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 just, you know, you don't say anything about how you came to your non-belief. Uh, um, maybe you need to say something about that in the book. And I thanked her, and then I, I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought, no, you know, non-belief is the default. That's what we're born with, non-belief. The question would be, how did I become a Christian? Or how did I become a Jew? Or how did I become something? Atheism is 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 the slate. Um, we don't have to explain how we became atheists. They have to explain how they became theists. But of course, that's not. And 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 I think that this is the most shocking thing. Maybe the part of of us that feels compelled to. I don't know, be, uh, feel a certain amount of righteous indignation whenever we're confronted or, you know, with with the challenge of trying to disprove God. And of course, you know, we, from our perspective, this very notion seems just uh, in, not uh, intellectually insulting first and too impossible. You're like, you're asking me to disprove fairies here. And, and meanwhile, if I stayed in that way, what am I? The bad guy, right? Yeah, exactly. I know, exactly. No, Dawkins, I remember even Dawkins a long time ago, and he's saying, well, you know, I mean, if everybody was going on about uh, fairies in the bottom of the garden, I suppose we'd have to be, he'd have to say he's an a-fairiest. Um, <laughs> but since people don't believe in fairies, he doesn't have to call himself an a-fairiest. But since people are theists, he has to call himself an atheist. Well, you know, there was one part of it when I was reading that, uh, when I was doing a, trying to do a little bit of research in, in John Mack, one of the things that he said on his website, probably one of the most vague mission statements I've ever heard in my life, something about needing to change paradigms or, you know, when you're slinging bullshit, who knows what you're going to fucking say. But um, one of the things that I thought was actually relevant was saying that he, you know, that his organization or whatever society was born uh, after his death really believes that ideas shape the world. And, and I guess that even for us, our, our rejection of these ideas is uh, I think itself in a way a, a world-shaping idea. To, to, to finally throw off the shackles of belief is not something that a lot of people seem either ready for or comfortable with. And, uh, you know, we're finding ourselves in an odd position of saying, I've got to talk to you, I've got to talk to you 
or talk your way into reality. You know, that's why I have to sit you down and make you and, and, and allow you to absorb just the harshness of the world. And, 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 and how do you think we can go about engaging that with people and, and, and not make them alienated in that process? It's, it's a very discouraging uh, question. Uh, one of the most discouraging things I read recently was some research on, uh, on changing people's minds. And uh, it was a neurological study. And, and you know, what they discovered is, is that if you present people with, who have a certain idea that they've had for some time, it's not would be the same as it, something very new, but something that they've, they've uh, supported for some time, and you present them the counter evidence, the result is they will believe more strongly what they originally believed. Mm-hmm. Which, which, where does that leave us? I mean, you know, especially with a, a serious subject like climate change. So the more evidence you present, the stronger they disbelieve that it's a problem. Um, and we're going to just run ourselves off the cliff in a short time. If, it's it's a very scary human trait. Yeah. Well, there is. I, I suppose though that that you know if 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 it's true that we push people further, is that do you are you noticing that trend? Like, are are people being pushed further to an extreme because of that? Uh, you know, the findings of that study do they confirm what we think is is sort of like, you know, intuitively true? Um, well, in the in I mean, it's, it's not a global study. I mean, individual. You know, or in, in the control group or the study group that they examined, yes, they did see that that, that um, people's beliefs became more firm and more um, hardened um, the more they were confronted with countervailing evidence. Uh, whether this is happening on a on a global scale, it's it's hard to say. But uh, if you look at the Republican debates, you'd have to think there might be some truth to that. I mean, the Repu- all all the Republican candidates are speaking about a world that doesn't exist. <laughs> <laughs> and well, and and imagine there, you know, like the, the same way that I was saying, I agreed with John Mack's idea that I, you know, belief shapes the world. It, it, I think the part of it that scares me the most is that if there is a chance that us, um, you know, sort of the pushing ideas to their extreme results. In, in, in further extremism, what does that say about our involvement? Does that mean that if, you know, if we looked at the scientific evidence and it said we should shut the fuck up, should we shut the fuck up? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know exactly. Um, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know what that means. I, I think there's maybe two separate issues here because one is the, the concept um, coming from a human exceptionalism that the world is really mind, it's really mental, it's, uh, um, uh, and God is mind and the universe and so on. And, and so that in that sense, uh, ideas shape the world because mind shapes, I mean, we are, it is all mind. Um, uh, I think a, a fairly quick look at evolution and uh, the little, the little pinpoint that we hope that we humans have in in the universe, both in time and space, to me is enough to eliminate any thought that the universe is mind in any sense that we would understand it as mind. But, but that's one reason people think that. Um, 
and the more people learn about evolution, I think, and the more and more people understand it, uh, where we fit into the cosmos, um, the more that will dissipate. Um, as far as on uh, the other side of it being your idea and my idea and somebody else's ideas and how do you change people's ideas or how do you change what they think, um, that seems to be quite difficult to do and, and maybe maybe it will only change generationally as uh, a newer generation has more more data available to it and a less uh, fixed idea to start from and uh, uh, will go in a different direction. And it does seem, certainly in terms of theism, that theism is becoming less and less popular among the young who know more about evolution and uh, uh, have a, a more accurate picture of the universe, I think, uh, from what they learned in school. You know, so uh, they may have less reason to accept a theistic uh, philosophy. But, but what do we do in the meantime? Do we go around debating the theists? I don't know if it's worth the trouble. Yeah. Well, what what is what? For instance, uh, your your involvement in the skeptical community and and how it's evolved. Because I know that there's there has been a lot of talk in that uh, community. I don't know if you're aware of it yet. Is that there? Some people are worried that atheism is sort of taken over the skeptical uh, element uh, of things. And I've I've said many times, and 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 I think that, that some people found this controversial. That I'm like, you cannot be religious and a good skeptic. You know, you can't be good at both, because your religiosity instantly suggests that there's an area of your life in which you don't apply those rules. That, yeah, I know, and uh, I mean, as far as uh, I believe, and oh, I'm not going to use that word. Uh, let me think of another word to believe. Um, I think. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, it's my expectation um, <laughs> right. that, um, that, I like that. Um, science and religion are really not compatible. Uh, I know many people mm -hmm. have tried to say that they are from both the religious and the non-religious. Stephen Jay Gould had our uh, separate magisteria, etc., etc., etc. But it does seem to me that Every religion I know, now this may not apply to, well, it does. It applies even to Buddhism, because if you believe in reincarnation, then this is something metaphysical. This is something verifiable that yes. um, either happens or it doesn't happen. And uh, um, so you are in the realm of science when you say there is reincarnation. And uh, science will have a different view or a different um, experience of, uh, or a different different knowledge to apply or different tests. So I don't see that religion and science are compatible, but as soon as you say that, it's with, when you have a dominantly religious country like the United States, and, and ours isn't too much better, uh, so they'll just dismiss science. I mean, God says this and science says that, well, God's right, so science is wrong. Well, we have we have we now have a tricky situation, you know, where where all of a sudden it's it's kind of like we're, we're creating again the same dichotomy, the same pressures that uh, I was saying was forcing kind of extreme views. Uh, we, as we push these these ideas to the margins, you know, I guess that the 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 trouble is, uh, do they become kind of like a weird membrane that tries to cocoon and hold us back? That could be. 
I mean, it may be that what the skeptical community is better at and more useful at is, is sniffing around the edges, um, find, find, you know, finding areas that uh, are less entrenched, um, uh, where the skeptical toolbox is, is very helpful and useful. And, you know, when I was at the PsyCon conference, I mean, for, for instance, we had um, things on um, uh, alternative uh, uh, health care, um, yeah. homeopathy and even uh, even um, acupuncture and uh, you know and, and uh, kind of basically showing the lack of evidence for acupuncture and certainly none for homeopathy um, but the, it's a there is an area of uh, discussion at least on acupuncture and um, and GM food was an interesting topic and uh, uh, in which one of the speakers spoke uh, that the evidence shows, uh, indeed, that GM food is a very useful tool for humans. And I would like to see them also talk about nuclear energy and nuclear power because uh, from it's, it's, it's very much a belief. The opposition to nuclear power is very much belief-oriented. It's not evidence-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Or, or or anecdotal. You know, like if we watch something in Japan where a nuclear power plant goes awry, we're like, well, we don't want nuclear power now. Exactly, exactly. And yet, if you if you really compare the dangers, uh, especially taking into account climate change, between nuclear power and any other large form of energy that we have at the moment, nuclear power is the safest and the most most important one to apply. Um, uh, and uh, the skeptical toolbox. But again, you talk to the the environmentalists who are opposed to it, it's very hard to present the countervailing evidence. But there's uh, Stuart Brand who wrote the book uh, Whole Earth Catalog way back in the 60s, one of the great environmentalists, and he wrote a recent book coming out in favor of both GM food and nuclear energy and said the environmentalists have been one of the biggest problems in terms of trying to solve climate change. Well, they, they present an extreme, right? Uh, an extreme view in which trying to, to, to reach a middle ground style agreement and and look at kind of a long view of of, of our civilization, like you were saying before, about nuclear power. I believe the importance of nuclear power is in finding a median solution until we have the technological sophistication to use an even more efficient form of energy. Exactly. So that's the long view, though, you know. Right, right. I mean, there, certainly there are problems. There. Yeah, right. And, and we have to do something in the short term, or there will be no long view to, to deal with. And, and, and I guess that the, the, the environmentalists... Anyway. Getting a little off right. topic. Well, no, I, I, I do think, though, that that represents a big, like an important part of, of what we were saying before, right? Where we're like, because my next question was going to be if you could do anything within the skeptical community. And I think, I believe that that encompasses a wide range um, of topics and of things that, that ultimately really affect us as a species. Uh, what part of it would you be most interested in? Like, this is an ideal solution, like an ideal world, I mean. Climate change absolutely is the most critical issue, uh, the most critical issue that science has to be listened to. It's still not being listened to, and uh, it's, um, it's going to destroy us. Um, I mean, everything else, we're shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm 73. Uh, you know, I may not see see the real dangers of climate change, but my wife is quite a bit younger, and my children, is, who are younger, they will, and their children will see a terrible, terrible world. 
um, wars and famine and destruction. Um, and once climate change is out of control, uh, which, if we go with what Durbin has, is doing, it will probably be out of control, because once the methane starts to be released from the Arctic, uh, there's nothing humans will be able to do to stop it. Well, it's not even just the Arctic. It's the permafrost in uh, in uh, in Russia also that, that contains, I think... Yeah, exactly. Right. I, I don't know, I don't yeah, know how right. much uh, of, of those kinds of greenhouse gases that it's merely holding in permafrost, like temporarily, and, and it really is a, a, a cumulative effect of just, you're like, yeah... Uh, there are many instances in which planets, once habitable, have become hellholes. Venus being a very good example. Mm-hmm. It's like we don't want to be the new Venus. Exactly. <laughs> do, do you have any? Do you have any plans, though? Uh, you know, in, in in terms of maybe a little bit more involvement, because although I will say that according to my research, and you can maybe correct me on this, it still seems that the skeptical community hasn't done a very good job in advertising your involvement in it. I'm just going to be critical of everybody else for a moment. The fact that this is not known seems like a shame. Um, well, that's kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, maybe it's because my involvement has been um, erratic or kind of happenstance. Um, um, and it's a little tricky, too, because, um, you know, uh, at the recent SciCon conference, uh, uh, they had asked me to speak initially, and I saw that it was coming. I thought it was a chance to promote my book, and I said, hey, hey. Uh, so I uh, wrote to Barry and said, uh, why don't you have me? He said, great idea, and he found a way to, to shoehorn me in. Um, but the truth is, you know, I, I mean, I'm an actor. Um, the fact that I'm fairly well-read and fairly knowledgeable is happenstance, in a way, but I'm an actor, and here I am speaking uh, in a panel with, uh, a lot of scientists and philosophers and people in a way. Oh, come, is that what it's come down to? Come on now. Is, it, what, is, what is that? Is that a kind of uh, form of uh, humility here? Is this what I'm hearing? Well, an extreme form? An extreme form. It's, um, it's um, <laughs> um, why should they listen to me when, when they have experts or specialists in the field? I'm a generalist. I, you know, grab things from... Um, a bit here, a bit here, a bit there. But uh, if they can actually hear, um, you know, Richard Dawkins or uh, uh, E.G. Myers or um, even Joe Nickel, I mean, um, these guys who spend their life uh, dealing with these issues. If I was to make a case as to why I would try to encourage your involvement, it, it, it has to do with this. My, my interpretation of the scene as it stands is that we need more performers in the scene and 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 you ask me what is the why should a person listen to an actor and I'm like you're still dealing with you know hard-nosed skeptics they don't have to take anything you say at face value the same way they don't have to take anything at face value from a scientist because everything you talk about a person can find out for themselves but it doesn't you know presenting the subject matter is often just as important as coming up with it no that's true no no, I grant you that. No, that's good. That's well, well said. Mm-hmm. Sure. And think and think and think about this too. I mean, you you were mentioning before that that perhaps some of the the ways that you've turned around a role that you know sort of uh, let's say made people at first assume that you were on the side of of pseudoscience when it was quite the opposite. Uh, I think that I think that there's still you still have a, a narrative ability to to help turn this baby around. Look, 
most of the people who go to these conferences and present, they're boring, man. They're so boring. Like, we need a, we need some life injected in this puppy. That's what I'm talking about. Like, some, uh, we need a living organism. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. Um, and, uh, and, you know, in terms of, it, as it happens, it's interesting uh, because it was a, uh, a skeptic who, who actually, and a Wikipedia editor who actually noticed it just about the same time as I was looking at my Wikipedia page and going, oh my God, this is this says nothing about me. It had three credits. And it was just, but this skeptic editor contacted me and um, said, can we uh, upgrade your page? And so we've actually uh, been working with her over the last few weeks. And just, just yesterday, we uh, went live on our new Wikipedia page, which has a good feature on skepticism. So... Well, it's, it's funny, too, because I was, I was actually reading the article. I think that the, the person who updated your Wikipedia page is also a prominent blogger and talking about the experience of updating okay. the, the page. And it, and, and it was just put up, I think, yesterday. Uh, and I had contacted you about a week ago. I think it must have been – I don't even know if it was just luck because I had managed to find some links about that skepticism from the page. But it must have just been updated because I only talked to you maybe roughly five or six days ago. So I felt on the ball, let me just say this. I felt connected. <laughs> well, if 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 I presented you with a couple offers, I don't know, uh, for doing some presentations and, and taking part in more conferences, would you be interested? And, and in something where I was actually thinking of going, doing something completely different. I'm not talking just talks. I'm talking maybe some interesting performances, some shows, uh, something a little bit more fun. You know, would would that interest you in any way? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, well, now now that I have you on tape. As having said yes, I would. I think that I think that no. Honestly, your your involvement in it, and and even some of the influences that you have through through uh, uh, through you know you having been a teacher for for people uh, and that kind of stuff. I think just it, it would really serve us well. I was you know during the interview, I just felt that you really do understand the the scene extremely well, and I I wanted to know more. I was doing a lot of digging online. I found, I mean, there were no videos of these, uh, of these talks or anything that I could find. That was really depressing, and I think it's time for us to, 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 to put you out there. You could do a lot of good out there, just like you did with the you know, Cancer Society, yeah. and, uh, you, you know, it's just right up yeah, your, be, your alley, I'd, man. I'd, I'd be happy <laughs> to do that. That'd be great. Yeah. All right, well, awesome. I, you know what? In, in the next few days, I can definitely have someone that's going to contact you regarding that. We're going to do something fun. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to be there myself. I'd love to have you on a kind of panel on a show so we can do a little bit more talking about uh, uh, some of your experiences. Just And, and also, uh, you know, what, what you mentioned in your book, because I, I, I think that we, if we had a really long discussion about uh, 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 John Mack, we could really sort of, I think, encompass the problem that we have in convincing really intelligent people that they're being profoundly uh, stupid. excellent well uh, thank you so much for joining me on the show Uh, I want to remind everyone that your uh, your memoir is available there will be a link on the site it's called where's the smoke the musings of a cigarette smoking man and uh, yeah thanks thanks so much for joining me uh, William right it's William now totally William (laughs) it's William now great yeah thanks so much I've really enjoyed it yeah